Well, hello, how are you? It's good to be with you once again, and I hope that you're ready and excited to hear what the Lord is going to say uh, as we look into his word and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. It's good to be with you once again. God bless you. Well, let's pray, and we're going to get started into this area again about the covenant of our God. He uh, gives us this old covenant and new covenant. We call it Old Testament, New Testament. And uh, what we're going to do is look at the difference. We started into some of that last week. But uh, this week we also want to look at the two main areas or the two main individuals that really become alive in the New Testament for us in a sense compared to a somewhat being missed in the Old Testament there but not as active as they are in the New Testament. And uh, we really want to see those two individuals and what they really do based on what God himself says. And uh, we're going to really look at that because we have something that says in Hebrews that uh, chapter 8 that we have a new covenant that is far superior than the old. And uh, it's for us to really dig into it and to understand why is it superior? Why is it better? Why is it more meaningful for us? And that's what we want to try to dig in and really answer. Uh, what makes the New Testament so superior over the Old Testament? Uh, and we want to try to understand that. I believe as Christians, if we can understand what God has been doing down through the ages, we will learn more about his character and how much he really loves us and how he works in our lives. And that's what is truly important today. Is God just a figmentation of our mind? Is he somebody just thousands of miles off and really not concerned about what happens here right now? Or is he a God who is very intimate and want to be in a relationship with us? Uh, true, some would say, well, if he's really God, he could make us. No, love is never forced. Love is never forced. And God doesn't force himself on us. Yes, he's God. Yes, we all will give an account to him, whether we want to or not. But he has created us in such a way that he does not force his love on us or force his will on us. We have to be a people who are willing to accept it, know it, and see that it really is a blessing to us, because it is. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we want to invite you and your Holy Spirit and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come into our midst and minister to us. We thank you, O oh God, for your word. It is a letter of love to us. 
It is a letter that teaches us how to live in such a manner that we honor you. And may that truly be our desire in life, is to honor you, to glorify you. Would you forgive us of our sins? Would you forgive us, Lord, for falling short? Would you forgive us, O God, for not sometime being the people we ought to be? And Lord, we just thank you that you have said in your word, the righteous shall fall seven times, but seven times he shall arise. It's by your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness that we're able to get back up and move again. And give us that desire, Lord, to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not to take it for granted that somehow, Lord, we have arrived. But may we be like Paul. May we press on because we understand that we have not arrived yet. We have not reached that point where you would have us to be. But may we press on. So would you open your word to us today? Would your Holy Spirit minister to us? May Jesus Christ, O Lord, be glorified as we look into your word and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the New Testament, it's about a different life, a new life. In the Old Testament, it was not so much about a new life. It was conditioning people to live a certain way. But in the New Testament, we have a promise of a new life than the life that we ourselves were living at one point. Even to a point that says we become a new creature in him. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. Yes, in the Old Testament, there was this challenge, as God says, unto the Israelites and unto his people and those who believed on him. And I want to remind you that there were Gentiles also who believed. That he said, to be ye holy as I am holy. So he sets a standard for them. But not with their ability to do it, per se. And sometimes we will question that. Why would God tell us to be something and knowing we cannot be? Because he wants to prove to man or show man, you can strive for something. But as Paul states, I can do nothing without Christ. And the Old Testament shows us in our striving. The Old Testament shows us, yes, there are some men who successfully carried out God's will, but yet they still fell short. Even a Daniel, even a David, a man after God's own heart, even a Moses. As we look at their lives, we see failures in their lives. But in the New Testament, what he is after is a new life. A new life that is hid in Christ Jesus. And the difference, if I could say in the Old Testament and New Testament, we could say it in this manner. In the Old Testament, God always saw the individual in a sense. 
But in the New Testament, when he looks on his believers today, he doesn't really see the individual person. He sees Jesus and what Jesus has done on their behalf. And he responds to that life on their acceptance of Jesus as the one who is their justifier, their sanctifier, their savior. And yes, I would be the first to admit, I fall short in so many areas, but thank God for Jesus, who has redeemed me from all of my sins. And that's what makes life different in this New Testament, in this new covenant from the old. I am being transformed totally into a different person, day by day, moment by moment. And there is a different life that is lived. And when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, from that moment on, God begins to change your life, that it becomes more like the life of the one that he has sent to be a pattern for us and an example in all things. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. And yes, in the New Testament, we are also told to be holy because God is holy. But he equips us to be able to do that and to live the type of life he wants us to live. And that's what we're going to, again, be somewhat focusing on. How do we become a people who are capable of living the life that God is expecting us to live? So, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew. Now, God knows every individual that is born, and he knew them before they was ever born. He tells us that over in the Psalms, that God knew us while we were yet where? In our mother's womb. And he is the one who has knitted us together. So before we ever took our first breath, God knew us why we were yet being formed, or as he was putting us, in a sense, together in our mother's womb. And he says, for those for God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Those who God knew that was going to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who was going to accept his covenant, and his way of salvation, he has also then predestined us to be like his son. That's important to understand. He hasn't predestined Gus Brown to be like Gus Brown. Gus Brown was just a dirty old sinner. Gus Brown did not have a mind towards the will of God. When I look at the old Gus Brown, he was a long way from God at one point in his life. 
but it was God who began to do a work the day that I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And he's still working on me. And that's an amazing thing. From 1972, 71, 72 to now, whoo, God has done a work, but he's still working. And there's a lot of work to be done. And he says he's predestined me to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Catch that. That's so important. That is not given in the Old Testament. Nowhere is that stated in the Old Testament. It's part of the New Testament covenant that everyone who comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is predestined to be like his son. Not predestined to be like Paul, not predestined to be like Peter, not predestined to be a Matthew, not predestined to be a D.L. Moody, not predestined to be a Billy Sunday, uh, not predestined to be one of the other great heroes of the faith, but to be predestined to be like the one who is the author and finisher of our faith like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's been a lot of great men who have gone before us that we could say as Christians, boy, I wish I could just live a little bit of their life, have a little bit of their faith. But the reality is I am predestined to be like Jesus, not like some other great saint, but like Jesus. And when I'm like Jesus, I will be holy as my God is holy. And he's predestined me to be like Jesus. And that's not a promise that was given in the Old Testament or in that Old Covenant. But it is one that is given in the new covenant. So I have an example of what I'm going to be like, who he's fashioning me like, who he's molding me in the image of. He's making me to be like his son, even in Philippians, that I would put on that mind of Christ, that I would be in a manner of thinking like Christ when it comes to doing the will of my Father, that he is developing a mind in me that is different than what my mind was before I knew him as Lord and Savior. So I am truly becoming a new creature. That was not promised in the Old Testament, but it is promised in the New Testament to all of us who accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Now the question is, what makes this possible? What makes this possible in the New Testament? And it wasn't possible, per se, in the Old Testament. Though we hear good things about men, the faithfulness of a Moses, the faithfulness of an Abraham, 
a man who had a heart after God, David himself. And we can see different images of individuals, but none of them were predestined to be like Jesus, the one who came to do the will of his Father. As we are being formed and shaped into that image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we also take on his work, his mind, even now. And our desire is to do the will of our Father. And God has promised us this in the New Testament. Well, I want to go back to Jeremiah 31, because, again, we just want to go over this real quickly, because it's important for us to be able to catch this, get it upstairs here, Hang on to it. Chew on it some. Sometimes we have to take something and go back over it again and again and again and again. Repetition in studying the scripture is not bad. Some people I've heard, I've read the Bible all the way through. Years ago, when I was a student at Tacoma Falls College, and uh, one semester, that's what we were assigned to do. You had to read so many chapters every day, and uh, we had to sign off, and we had to read through the Bible in that semester. And uh, it was quite a challenge. But just because you read through the Bible does not mean you have taken time to study the Bible. And what you want to do is take time to study it to take a subject and think on it, to take a word and follow it through and see how it develops maybe a different view in your thinking, to understand its concepts and to understand its principles and standards and to constantly go at it. And uh, it's not a thing so much of changing mind, it is developing the mind to go from step one to step two to step three to step four in your thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It keeps taking you to a higher plane. It keeps taking you to another notch. If I can say it in this strange, we really don't see scripture saying uh, Father number one, Son number two, Holy Spirit number three. And yes, we may see it in that order sometimes, especially at the baptism where the Father was speaking, the Holy Spirit came as a dove, Jesus is being baptized. But in Genesis chapter one, he says, let us. And uh, it's not an issue of number one, number two, number three. But in theology, we kind of break it down that way for that we can study the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and uh, we put them as the first person, second person, third person of the Trinity. Uh, well, we don't really have that language per se in Scripture, uh, but we do see all three of them in Scripture, acting and uh, ministering to humanity. So as we get back into Jeremiah 31, we're going to see this new covenant that God says that he's promised. We went through a little bit of it last week, but I just want to go back and refresh ourselves a little bit over it because it's so important to grasp it. He says in that verse 31, 
He said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, he's going to repeat that again, but then he's just going to use the word Israel. He doesn't use the word Judah, but here in this verse, he uses the word Judah because we have the kingdom of Israel divided between the north and the south. The north is Israel. The uh, the south is Judah. But something else I think takes place that sometimes we don't give very much light to or we don't look at it very much. And that is there is going to be a change of the priesthood. When the Israel is divided, there's a change that also takes place in this priesthood. And he says, in Israel and Judea. And I know I could be challenged on many things, as many of us could be challenged on when we make a statement that sometimes don't fit in what we call normal theology or normal views. But remember Dr. Legacy, he says, as you study scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to show things. And you have to be the one who's saying, boy, I didn't see that before. But he mentions Judah. And like I just shared with you a moment ago, to think on the words or to study the words out. God gave the Leviticus priesthood to Israel as a whole. Not as two divided groups, but as a whole. We have the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And scripture is going to help us see that there was a division there between the priesthood. But then the New Testament tells us that we receive a priest out of the tribe of Judah that never served under the Old Covenant or Old Testament. And we really want to get that up here in mind. If I could just take that and put that thought up there, that a new priesthood is going to come or flow out of the tribe of Judah. And he goes on and he says here now, in that 31, that he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will not be like the covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. So he's telling us right off, this is going to be a complete different type of covenant. It's not going to be like the old covenant. In the New Testament, we really don't have the Ten Commandments that somewhat. We don't have the priesthood and all the rules of the priests. Uh, we don't have, in a sense, the priest teaching like it was in the Old Covenant. 
and, and God's telling us there's going to be quite a few changes under this new covenant that is different than what it was under the old covenant. Now, we're not going to be able to go through all the changes per se, but I do want to hit what I think is the two major ones. And I hope that you're able to really see them. But he tells us he's going to make a new covenant and it would not be like the covenant that he had made with their forefathers. And he gives us the weakness now. And one of the things that really make the new testament or the new covenant different from the old and he tells us then in that verse 31 he says i took them by the hand to lead them out of egypt because they broke my covenant they what they broke his covenant though i was a husband to them he he's demonstrating his faithfulness to the bride But it's the bride, it's the wife who breaks the covenant here. That is the weakness because they had not the ability to fulfill the covenant. In the New Testament, we are given the ability to fulfill it. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus came in human form to fulfill what you and I personally would fall short at if it was not for him. He fulfills the letter of the law on our behalf that we don't have to, that we are totally justified by his work. And our sins are not just covered, but removed by the shedding of his blood. He makes it possible in giving the Holy Spirit to us when we accept him as our Savior, the strength and the ability to be obedient to God and to live in a way that really honors God. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but by the time you are ready to see the Lord, you're going to be there. Because of the promise that is given to us. That we're going to see him face to face. And one day we shall be like him. Like him. Like him. And that's that perfection. That's that holiness. That's all that he is. One day I will be also. And... The weakness of the covenant was that man would break it because he had not the strength to live it out. Now, he goes on down. And I want us to look in verse 33. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, now he doesn't use Judah this time. He just says, with the house of Israel. He's going back, in a sense, to the original. He only made a covenant with 
Israel when he came as a nation. He does that again, even in the New Testament. And that's why it says that he would first go to where? To the house of Israel. Not that he's excluding, but isn't it strange? All 12 of the apostles were Jews. Much of the early church were Jews. Much of his ministry took place in the synagogues and around Jewish synagogues. He ministered to the Gentiles because we know Galilee was basically a Gentile-type city or a town. So they were not left out. They heard. And we hear of even Gentiles coming to him and accepting him. But he says... I will make this new covenant with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. Now, look what he's going to do. He's going to put the law where at? In their minds. And he goes on, he says, and, and on their hearts. Minds and hearts. And the question is, how is he going to do that? Uh, that he's going to put on our minds and our hearts. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Go to verse 23 and 24. There's a word there that I want to, again, just bring to our attention. He says in verse 23, get my eyes on it. Well, let's start at 22. You were taught, and there's the word. You were taught. Now the question is, who's doing the teaching? And we're going to answer that. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. You were convicted about your former way of life. I was convicted about my former way of life. Somebody showed me and taught me that that life was not really pleasing to God. And I was not living life in a manner in which God really wanted me to live. My wife was not living the life that God wanted her to live. And each individual has to come to that realization on their own that we're not living a life that is really pleasing to God and we're not living the life that God wants me to live. When people recognize that, they're ready for the change because they realize they can't change themselves. But the one who is teaching them is bringing them to that point of crying out, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. It's an understanding that your ways are not his ways. And his ways are much higher than yours. And he wants you to live on a higher plane, with higher standards, higher values, with a higher respect for yourself, 
because you're no longer, if I may say, just a human being or just a person. You are now a saint of the living God. You are a Christian, a follower of Christ. You are born from above, not just earthly. There is something, there has been a change, a spiritual change in your life. And it's not just for show, it's not a religious thing, it is a spiritual thing that has taken place in your life. That God has radically touched you and you are recognizing that the old is passing away and the new life is coming forth. And he wants you to understand that. And he said, you've been taught that. Now listen to what he says again. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. You have to see your former way of life as wrong, as corrupt, as unholy, in order to make a change. And he says, to put off your old self. You don't start getting rid of something unless you find it useless. You don't get rid of something unless you get something better. You don't move forward until you realize you're really not moving. And you're going backwards. But when you understand you're not moving or you're going backwards, you want to stop and start making progress and start moving forward. But you have to realize that within yourself. And he says, you were taught. So somebody's revealing, somebody is showing us, somebody's teaching us. And if I might use the word, somebody's convicting us and correcting us of our corrupt life, our life that is against God. And he says, put off your old self, which is being corrupt by its deceitful desires. What corrupts us? He says, deceitful desires. My desires were all wrong. My, my desires were not that which was pleasing towards God. They were all fleshly desires, the wrong type of desires. We desired to sin. We desired to do wrong. But in doing so, we think somehow it's going to get us ahead. We think it's going to better our life. We think it's going to somehow build us up to be more than what we are. It's that desire to have more than the Joneses or that desire to be better than this person or that desire to show myself more superior than this group or that group. And he says, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Somebody got to show me that. Man can't show me. 
we'll fight each other. And the first thing, I, I like what Mr. Shuler used to say, don't call people a sinner. Because it sounds like you're calling them a sinner and you're a holy and you got your halo on and you're all cleaned up and you're perfect, but you're calling them a sinner and they're going to come right back at you. Who are you? Because we all see ourselves right in our own sight. We all think we're doing right in our own way of doing things. And it takes someone more powerful than a human being to correct us and show us. And he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new where? Up here in your thinking, in your mind. Didn't have that in the Old Testament. That one who was going to teach them personally, and to renew their mind. They had the law, yes, but the law only showed them their sin. Didn't really correct them, but showed them their sinfulness. Didn't give them power to live differently. Just showed them their sin. To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To put on what? To put on the new self. The new self. Old Testament doesn't talk about a new self. In this New Testament, it talks about a new Self, a new creature. Letting the old things pass away and behold, all things are becoming new. And to put on the new self created to be like who? Like God. In true righteousness and what? Holiness. To be like God. You had the command to be ye holy because I'm holy, but no power to be it. Now we have power to be it. Because we're being told we can put off the old man, the old corrupt man. And we can put on that likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. How? How? Go to 2 Corinthians with me. Chapter 3 and verse 3 because God says he's going to put it in our minds and he's going to write it on our hearts and we want to understand that. So in 3.3 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 he says You show that you are letters from Christ. Boy, in my own personal life, I show that I am a letter from Christ. The results of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. 
Now look what he writes on. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The Holy Spirit is writing God's word on my heart. The Holy Spirit is writing God's will on my heart. The Holy Spirit is writing God's direction on my heart. And people are able to see it because out of the heart comes the issues of life. And they're able to see it demonstrated as I live and as I speak and the things that are done. He says, boy, you showed that you are a letter from Christ. Personally, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to write on your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, the will of God. The will of God. He begins to write God's word on your heart as you're in this. And he begins to develop you into that person that God wants you to be. Like his son. Like himself. Now understand what Jesus said to Philip. If you see me, you see the Father. So even when the scripture talks about us being like God, let's not forget that Jesus is God. And that's hard sometimes for us to handle because we got them so divided. But they're one. And again, the Trinity, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't really understand it. But I see it in scripture. If you get in scripture, you'll see it. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together as one for our good. And he says, it's not written on stones or the tablets of stones. What was the Ten Commandments written on? Stone. Remember? But he says he's writing it on our hearts. So what did God say back there in Jeremiah? He's going to write it on our minds and our hearts. He's going to put it in our minds and in our hearts. He's going to do that. Now, I need you to understand that in the New Testament, as I said in Judah, there's a new group that come out. And we come, in a sense, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to First Peter chapter 2. Go to verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen people. Now guess how he puts this. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. And what the God says, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why don't you really grab hold of that? Because it's important that we understand that we are this new priesthood in Jesus Christ. Go to Second Chronicles now. 
once you see something that took place. Because we're going to read it in the Old Testament when it's time for a new covenant that it would also be time for a new priesthood. Second Chronicles chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 13. It says in verse 13, The priests and Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with him. Who is the him? Rehoboam, Solomon's son. He's going to be the leader in the southern kingdom. The ten tribes are up in northern kingdom. And it's the tribe of Judah that makes up this southern kingdom mainly. But all the priests, even up in the northern kingdom, under Jeroboam, they are going to leave because, again, they're not accepted. Under Rehoboam, they are accepted. And we see that shift. In the northern kingdom, they did not accept the Leviticus priesthood in a sense. And the priests that did stay, they were marrying foreign women. They were worshiping idols. They were changing. They were not following the rules that God had laid down for the priesthood. And those who were going to continue to follow the rules that God had laid down for the priesthood go to Judea. They go to the southern kingdom. Now, I want you to hold that again. I guess this section I've asked you to hold up here in, in, in your mind because Judah is important here. And he says, The priests and Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with him. The Levites even abandoned their pasture land and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. God, in a sense, was being kicked out of a country. Is it a little mindful of what's happening here in this country? That in one sense God is being kicked out. Jesus is being removed. And you cannot practice what you were taught. Or do the will of God. As God would lead you. Without some type of persecution. And it says that. Rehoboam. Accepted them. Jeroboam did not. And he says, Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. Now catch verse 15. And he appointed his own priests. He appointed his own priests. He appointed his own priests. They didn't have to come out of the tribe of Levites. He began to establish his own priesthood in a sense. So there is a change that's going on in this priesthood. The first high priest comes out of the tribe of 
Levite, Aaron, his sons. And now, that's removed, that's broken. That's part of that old covenant. And he's selecting his own priests. And that's where we learn in history that after a while, priest, the priesthood became something that you could buy for prestigiousness and for wealth. And he goes on and he simply says, and he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat and and calves. Idols he made. Those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their father. There are those who remain faithful, who desire to do the will of God and, and to follow after the Lord, but they had to leave the northern kingdom, move down to the southern kingdom. They had to leave wealth and home and pasture lands and so forth that they might worship the God of their fathers in the manner of the way in which they were taught. How many of you would leave your wealth, your home, in order to be able to really worship the Lord Jesus Christ in the manner in which you felt or had been taught that is the right way to do so. What would you give up to really worship our God? And he goes on just a little bit further. He he says, those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, three years walking in the ways of David and Solomon during this time. And boy, there's a change that is going to take place. Now, go with me to back to Jeremiah 31. And uh, we'll get ready to leave Jeremiah 31. Hit a couple of scriptures over in the New Testament to see this difference even that's going to take place. So in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31, he said, No longer... Will man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord? Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. He says, All will know him. How is that possible? Go over to St. John. Because we need to understand that something takes place that God 
is going to teach man. Now, once you come over into verse 12 in John 16, and we're going to read down from verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, Jesus is speaking, than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, he, the spirit of truth, the one who's going to come and teach me truth, the one who is going to take how I see truth or how I judge truth, how I think I'm right in all of my ways is going to correct me and teach me truth. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known unto you. Now, we have to understand that it is the Spirit of God who's going to make this known unto man. Come back up with me now into verse 7 and 8. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Jesus is limited. Why? He's in this body form. He's limited. Holy Spirit comes without a body. And he's not limited. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Jesus was in one place at a time because of the body. But the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Now, now listen. Let, let's go on with this in verse, in verse 8. And that's why Jesus said, it's important for him to leave that the counselor may come to you. But if I go... But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. He will do what? Convict the world of guilt. Guilt against who? Your sin against God. He's going to convict us. And that's why God says back in Jeremiah, no longer will man teach brothers or others to know the Lord. Why? The Holy Spirit's going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to, is going to teach God's truth. Man is the one who either will reject it or receive it. And the first thing the Holy Spirit begins to deal with man is with his sin. That this is sin. As long as you do not acknowledge your sin. You'll never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
But when you acknowledge your sin, you'll recognize you need a Savior. Someone who can redeem you and deliver you from your sin, from your captivity of sin. And again, he says, he will convict you in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict you in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Who is the me? Jesus Christ. The difference between that Old Testament and New Testament. Yes, they were looking for the Messiah. But he was not there for them to believe in. In the New Testament, he is here for you and I to make a choice to believe in him. Now, I'm kind of running out of time and I'm not going to run over, but in our next lesson, what I want to look at is Jesus Christ appointed as the high priest. And I want you to stay with me in this area because it's so important. Because he becomes the high priest in New Testament, appointed by God. Appointed by God. From Aaron, appointed and called by God, but was man. And he was not a priest for eternity. He was not a priest forever. But Jesus is an eternal priest. And his priesthood is forever. So we'll pick that up next week. So I'm hoping somehow we're kind of like digging into the old and the new and the difference. I hope that we're kind of catching it as we go through the verses here. And I hope that somehow... I'm speaking in a way that is clear. And I want to challenge you. Go back and look it up for yourself. Be a Berean. Dig into it. Learn. Don't let Pastor Brown be your teacher per se. But allow the Holy Spirit to teach you what the Word of God says. Amen. Again, thank you. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time that you've given us. Would you, O oh God, just minister to us? Would you gurgitate what we have heard? Would you allow us to go back over what has been said? Would your Holy Spirit speak to everyone, O oh God, who goes back over your word? May there be that personal voice that they hear of the Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of life in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that Jesus introduces us to you, who is eternal life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye. We'll see you next week. God bless.